entering the Freedom Hut. Attorney General has been held in contempt of Congress by the mad Democrats. They have completely lost it. They are suffering from Trump derangement syndrome. And now we find out that there's a Senate committee that wants to bring Donald Trump Jr. in. What is this weaponization of the law by the left going to turn into? Then also updates on North Korea, China, Venezuela, and so much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Do you agree with Chairman Nadler that the country is currently in a constitutional crisis? Yes, I do agree with Chairman Nadler because uh, the administration has decided that they are not going to honor their oath of office. When we're ready, we'll come to the floor. And we'll just see, because there might be some other contempt um, of Congress uh, uh, issues that we want to deal with at the same time. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. These Democrats are wacko. They're led by wacko Pelosi. And she is now declaring a constitutional crisis. It is a fake constitutional crisis. And if it's anything, it is entirely of the Democrats' own making. It is a deeply, deeply cynical exercise of trying to create a problem with the executive. They want this showdown with the executive branch. They need this showdown with the executive branch. want to gin up some story of how Trump is obstructing. Oh, there's that word again. You see, all they have to do is request documents they're not entitled to. And then when they are not given the documents to which the Democrats in Congress are not entitled, they say they're obstructing. And you say, well, Buck, that alone isn't enough to do very much. Oh, but it brings that word back up, doesn't it? It keeps obstruction alive. The favorite word of the Democrats, one that you'll be hearing so much for the next, what is it now? 18 months. Oh, less than that 15 months or so that you will wish you had never heard obstruction in your life you'll never hear it again in your life a constitutional crisis what exactly is this crisis let's break this down for a moment the crisis is that the democrats aren't getting unfettered and illegal access to a report that they did not in fact have any remember this friends any uh clear ability to demand the special counsel had to deliver a report attorney general Barr could have said thank you for the confidential report that's it goes in a safe see you later no charges came out of it that's all you need to know instead he works with the special counsel releases all but two percent of it and then that's it that's it but you see they're also trying to create more than just the obstruction meme which is what this really comes down to. There's also a belief here that if they can make up some situation where the president won't do exactly what they say. Remember, this is talking about a co-equal branch of government. But if the executive branch does not dance to the Congress's tune, uh, then they're going to start saying how people need to be sent to prison. Now, this has come up 
particular because Donald Trump Jr. has now been subpoenaed to appear in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. This is a dishonorable move. And uh, Senator Burr should be ashamed of himself. He's a, he's a hack and he's caving to the Democrat pressure around him. But it's dishonorable because Donald Trump Jr. agreed to testify before and did for, I think it was something in the six to nine hour range, a long time behind closed doors about everything and anything the Senate Intelligence Committee wanted to hear. But he did that with the understanding that it was a one-time deal. This is a one-off, a one-shot. That was the agreement. Now they're trying to go back on the agreement because Democrats and some Republicans have no honor. They do not honor their word. They do not have integrity to protect. And that's where you get someone like Dick Blumenthal, a.k.a. Danang Dick, running around telling us all that uh, if Trump doesn't, Trump Jr. doesn't do exactly as he's told here by the Senate that has gone back on its word, then he should go to prison. Play 15. If Donald Trump Jr. defies this subpoena, he ought to be jailed. Very simply, he has no privilege. He has no right to simply say no. He may be the president's son, but he's not above the law and he has no privilege whatsoever. Okay, does does the Senate have the right to subpoena Donald Trump Jr.? I'm sorry, producer Mike told me testified for more than 25 hours. Thanks, Mike. Okay, this guy's been through it all. On the record, in front of the Senate, he's done it all. But see, this is where the Democrats, this is a kind of Alinskyite approach to the law. Just keep harassing you. Use the process as a weapon. The process is the punishment. I want to ask Danang Dick Blumenthal, can you subpoena the president's son to appear every week? Why not? What stops you from from having the president's son appear every week? Why, why not just keep doing it? Well, as long as the Senate's in session. No, we, we demand you appear again and again and again. We got more questions. Because these people have no decency, no good faith. They don't care what they look like to anyone with a, a functioning cerebral cortex who does not suffer from stage six Trump derangement syndrome. Stage six, I'll say, is the worst stage. I don't know. Rand Paul understands what this is. This is this is harassment of the president's family, pure and simple. Play 16. You know, I think it's a very unfortunate thing. I think it's persecution of the president's family. We spent thirty five million dollars investigating this. This would not go forward without Republican complicity. So I think it's a mistake for Republicans to keep putting the Trump family through this. And uh, I really think they ought to drop it. It's completely over the investigations. Two years, $35 million. They said there wasn't any any crime. So I think it's time for this to be over. Senator McConnell has said cases closed. I think it's about time all Republicans get on board with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me say this. We are in political trench warfare here, friends. There is no middle ground, and don't be a Republican who gets stuck out of no man's land. We have our trench. The Democrats have theirs. There should be no good faith offering of documents, of testimony, of anything. Everything should go through court. Everything should be a fight. Make them scrape and scratch 
and crawl and beg and pry from the fingers of those they needed from everything. Make them fight for every little inch, every piece of paper. Have them take it to court. This is the only thing, never mind that they'll respect, that will slow them down. They respect nothing. They respect their own pursuit, their own mad desire to take Trump out, to defeat him by any means they can. That is what we were up against, which means that this administration should take an approach commensurate with that insanity, appropriate to that level of Trump derangement, which is just see you in court. You want this? See you in court. You're demanding this? See you in court. Trump's a fighter, and I think he's in great shape for 2020, but man, we have a fight ahead of us, my friends. We've got more on this and a whole lot else coming up. And for the Republicans, as I said to you in a previous meeting, Barr, McConnell, Trump, their common bond, a special interest is in our country, whether it's the gun interest, whether it's the fossil fuel industry, not to paint everybody in any of those categories with the same brush. But I do paint Barr, McConnell, and the president with the same brush, that they are here because they're anti-governance of any governance role in addressing climate change, addressing the epidemic gun violence in our country, to name just two. Nancy Pelosi is an adept politician, but intellectually deficient. Not a smart person. Savvy, yes. Knowledgeable, wise, absolutely not. Here you have a classic Pelosiism. They are opposed to governance. The president says opposed to governance. How much more stupid of a statement could someone come up with than that the president of the United States, who has been to hell and back in order to become the president and is doing a very good job in that role, is opposed to governance of any kind. So is she saying the president, I mean, someone, if we had a real press corps, if we didn't have a bunch of lapdogs in the media that do whatever the Democrats want them to do, and then they think they're all so brave, right? They give themselves awards. You know, CNN got an award. Uh, That jerk tapper got an award for the gun violence town hall they did after the, uh, the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, which was like a WWE themed, uh, you know, throwdown against the NRA with people hissing and booing and screaming at my old colleague and friend Dana Lash. CNN got an award for that. An award. They should be ashamed. Tapper should be ashamed. Yes, that guy's no shame. The biggest, biggest phony in all of journalism. Ashamed. Uh, But Pelosi and Democrats... They can count on the media to not ask real questions like, hold on a second. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, you say that, you say that as opposed to governance. Are you saying the president of the United States is an anarchist? Is that really what you believe? Are you think Mitch, McC- Mitch McConnell, an establishment Republican who has been doing a very good job. You can criticize him on a lot of things, but very good job getting conservative judges appointed and through or not appointed, but getting them through the, the process. Uh you think that they're opposed to government? This is just such a such a brainless talking point. Again, it's something that only unserious people could say out loud. But in so many ways, Nancy Pelosi is at least intellectually unserious. And then this addressing climate change. What does that mean? Hello, climate change. Would you like some ice cream? That's addressing climate change. 
Are they going to fix it? Well, no, of course not. Even if we did everything the Democrat left wants us to do, they're not going to fix it. Even if we did everything they say we should do, it wouldn't even come close to fixing it. Addressing climate change. Addressing the epidemic of gun violence. Epidemic of gun violence based on what? Based on what statistics? We have an epi- we have an opioid epidemic in this country, which Democrats are desperately trying to avoid talking about in the context of a porous border that has huge amounts of illegal drugs manufactured by the cartels and then brought across our southern border and given to our fellow Americans in cities all across the country where they are poisoned to death. Democrats don't want you to know that that's a, that the 70,000-plus dead we had last year from opioid or overdose, that number goes down dramatically if we don't have drugs pouring across our border from Mexico. Maybe tens of thousands of Americans would be alive today who are not alive because of the cartels and their criminal, uh, their, their criminal activities that involve the poorest nature of our southern border. But they don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about the epidemic, address the epidemic of gun violence. How? By putting a three-day waiting period in place or by limiting people's ability to have more magazines or rather magazines with higher capacity or more magazines probably. I'm sure they'd love to restrict that too. Democrats don't have any good arguments against Trump right now. That's, that's what you really have to take away from all of this. Their arguments are effectively orange man bad, does Putin's bidding, racist, racist, sexist, uh, mean bully, tweets bad things, not presidential, undermines democracy. That's, that's their argument. None of that is relevant to any of our lives in any meaningful way whatsoever. It's either a lie, a smear, or, you know, but that's the argument that they have. Their argument for why you should not vote for Donald Trump is just a series of emotions. It's like a campaign of onomatopoeia. Blah! Trump is blah! That's what they have for you. What are they going to say? Do you think Joe Biden's going to do a better job in the economy? Joe Biden's got better ideas on trade? Don't even get me started on all these other. I mean, they got this clown car full of all these clowns, which I guess is what you have in a clown car. A lot of entirely, uh, entirely ridiculous candidates out there. What are their big ideas? Medicare for all, wildly expensive, never going to happen. It's not going to happen. We can talk about it as much as we want. It's not going to happen. You create a Medicare for all option. Guess what? Then all of a sudden, every employer is like, I don't want to pay your, I don't want to pay your medic, uh, your, you know, health insurance benefits. Now you go, go get your Medicare for all. Go, go pay, go get that. I don't want to pay for you anymore. Let that happen. Oh, so what happens to the private insurance market there? It, it, it collapses. It collapses. It's not going to be Medicare for all. They, they can't create to create a, a true public option in that way. It's just that that's just the antechamber to single payer. For everybody, meaning that you have socialized medicine and that, that's what comes next after that. When you're paying for everything, you go, well, we might as well control the delivery of the medical goods and services, too. But what, what are the big Democrat ideas? It's all just based on a hate for Trump. You know, they, they pretend that it was similar under the Obama years. But I was I was working in media during the Obama years. And he, I can tell you this. There were very real objections on matters of policy to what Barack Obama was doing. The people that opposed the uh, the trajectory of the United States with Barack Obama as president did not like 
the approach to economics, the the approach to taxes, the approach to spending, you know, more money than every president before him combined in terms of the debt. Did not like his bowing and apologizing foreign policy. Did not. I mean, these are real things. You know, didn't like Obamacare. Didn't like amnesty. Did you know these are things that we opposed and made we made arguments, right? The Tea Party was making an argument about the size of government, the size of the debt. Now, that's an argument we still need to make, by the way. But it wasn't, you know, Barack Obama is just evil. And that's really what it comes down to with Trump. That's how you have Pelosi saying things like he's anti-governance. I mean, what an utterly feckless and stupid thing for the Speaker of the House to say. Do you think anyone's going to call her out on it, though? Do you think there'll be any effort whatsoever to push back on something that's so transparently ridiculous? No, of course not. Of course not, because she's Nancy Pelosi. She plays for Team Democrat, and there's different rules for Team Democrat. And those rules include never even raising the possibility, never even addressing the the thought that weaponizing law against your political opponents as the Democrats are very clearly doing right now and weaponizing congressional subpoena power for petty partisan purposes tears at the very fabric of this country's politics and and makes us uh, bitterly divided in ways that will have ramifications for a long time to come. No, no. Whatever Democrats do is justified. Anything to stop Trump, that's the rule. Anything that is opposed to Trump must be a good thing. That is their view. For a few weeks now, I've been reminding you that Mother's Day is fast approaching. Now it's just days away. So 1-800-Flowers is here to pick out a gorgeous bouquet for you that'll show her she's loved. 1-800-Flowers still has amazing offers on beautiful Mother's Day bouquets and arrangements starting at $29.99. Now that's an offer that mom would approve of. There's still time to have your bouquet delivered on Mother's Day, but you've got to get moving. With an amazing selection of sweets, treats, and bouquets, 1-800-Flowers has everything you need for Mother's Day. And she'll never guess how great of a last-minute deal you scored. Mother's Day bouquets and arrangements starting at $29.99 is an amazing offer, but you have to order today. Trust 1-800-Flowers to make mom feel loved. Order today from 1-800-Flowers.com. To order beautiful and vibrant Mother's Day bouquets starting at $29.99, go to 1-800-Flowers.com buck. That's 1-800-Flowers.com buck. Mother's Day is Sunday, so order today and save at 1-800-Flowers.com buck. Very grave and momentous step that we were forced to take today to move a contempt citation against the Attorney General of the United States. We did not relish doing this, but we have no choice. And that is the, the path that I am following. It's about the facts and the law. Now, uh, as I said yesterday, the president is almost self-impeaching because he is every day demonstrating more obstruction of justice and disrespect for Congress's uh, legitimate role uh, to subpoena. So we'll, we'll, again, this is very methodical. It's very constitution-based. It's very law-based. It's very factually based. It's not um, about pressure. It's about patriotism. These Democrats are a bunch of big, fat liars liars 
so shameless, too. I mean, they, they can't believe these things they're saying. It's so absurd. Jerry Nadler, this is a grave and momentous step. That we, No, it isn't. No, it isn't. I had uh, one of these Democrat judiciary members on uh, Rising yesterday. He said, oh, this is so important. I said, oh, I'm sorry. When was the last time a, a an attorney general was held in contempt of Congress? Oh, Eric Holder. Right. How big a deal was that? It's a grave and momentous step that we're forced to take today. Forced to take. My friends, Jerry Nadler and the Democrats are claiming that because they don't have unfettered access to 2% of a 448-page report, because they don't have complete and, and total unfettered access, they uh, are being obstructed in their constitutional oversight duties. They are being unfairly prevented from you know, doing what needs be done here. Uh I I just find myself in I, I I have speaking of contempt I have such contempt for these Democrats I really do you know this is a this is beyond just disagreeing with them I mean these people are highly unethical they make fraudulent representations about what's going on to the people of the United States uh, Pelosi saying that this is that the president is self impeaching because he's doing even more obstruction what's he supposed to do. Just hand his hand his smartphone to Pelosi. Say, yeah, go through this. Do whatever you want. Whatever you want. You want to install cameras in the in the uh, in the residence of the White House. You know, whatever you want to do. Open book. Total transparency. Everything you want's fine. This is about transparency. This is just about trying to dig up dirt and trying to create dirt. Never mind, dig up dirt. Just muddy up the president with whatever they can. He knows that. Everyone knows that. This is all politics. It has nothing to do with the sanctity of our democracy or you know protecting our. Uh, American way of life and all this other sanctimonious bullcrap the Democrats are throwing your way all the time. It's just, they're pathetic, utterly pathetic. I mean, their, their claim here, they, they've held the attorney general in contempt, which fortunately, the only person that could arrest the attorney general or that could prosecute him would be within the U.S. attorney's office, and that's not going to happen. But they've held the attorney general in contempt, and they've held him in contempt for... And this is, this is a fact, my friends, for refusing to break the law. That's the situation we're in right now. Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, addressed this and, and put it rather well. Play two. Chairman Nadler is asking the Attorney General of the United States to break the law and commit a crime by releasing information that he knows he has no legal authority to have. Uh, it's truly outrageous and absurd what the chairman is doing, and he should be embarrassed that he's behaving this yeah. way. Any congressional subpoena or request for information has to be premised on a legitimate government function, right? Uh, you know, you, you can, a member of Congress can't just subpoena the records of his wife to see if she's cheating on him. You know, the, there, there are actual limits here. It's not just whatever you want, whenever you want it. And there is, there has yet to be any justification for why Congress thinks it is entitled to protect it under statute under congressionally passed statute to protect 6E grand jury information. Do you know why you know why they want that grand jury information? And you know why they want all of Congress to have it? So they can leak it. If it's just the leadership that has access to it, it's a small enough pool that they get a little squirrely about 
leaking information that could get them in criminal jeopardy when it's quite clear that not that many people had access to it, right? This is true. This is an old intelligence community thing as well. If you limit access to information, if there's a leak, you're much more likely to be able to track down the source of the leak. They want all of Congress, all 435 members, to be able to just walk in, read in a uh, in a secure facility, whatever they want, and that includes the E6 material and the, or six E material rather. And the reason they want that material so badly is they figure there might be, because remember that's trying to get charges going there might be something damaging in there about uh about trump there might be something in there that is an an embarrassment to the president of the united states and that's what this is all about it's not about finding criminality it's not about uh you know creating some important commission to look at we had the commission we had two years of the Mueller probe two years of this we've been through this nightmare democrats have this fixation this obsession. And, you know, they, they just sound crazier and dumber the more they talk about it. Pelosi saying it's about patriotism. They, they, have, they have not an ounce of integrity in this process. They've shown themselves to be the most hacky of hacks, the most partisan of partisans. That's why they're also, that's why you see all this stuff too now about you know, they're going to go after the president's family more. They're going to go after anybody. They're, they want his tax returns. They, they're just trying to sink their teeth into something. And what I think is so interesting is that they've already done all this. We've been through all this. They're going to rehash a lot that we already knew from 2016. You know, nobody voted for President Trump because of the way he treats his marital vows. OK, I'm not I'm not trying to be judgy here but let's be honest voted for trump because of what he represents because of the ideas because of the movement because of his ability to execute as commander-in-chief under the promises that he made while running for president that's it that's why we and it's working out really well it's actually very good but he's had to get through just this this astonishing just group of little lilliputians Tying him down with everything they can, trying to prevent uh, Trump from being able to just be the president. And th there's so much bitterness and so much nastiness in, in the way that they're willing to lie about him. You know, they always say that Trump's a liar. Democrats go out there and they lie about Trump every friggin' day. They won't stop lying about him. But, you know, you don't see big news tickers on CNN or over at the Washington Post fact checker on that thing. All these Democrats who are saying that Barr isn't doing his job and is being bad, they're liars. Congress needs to act. Family units are coming because the word's out. You bring a child, you won't be detained. Right. Over 80% don't show up in court and they're going to remain in the United States illegally until the next DACA comes up. If you look at the numbers, this all started in FY12 when the DACA was awarded by the, the Obama administration. That's when this surge even started. Congress is not going to help, so we need to do operationally what Congress has failed to do legislatively. ICE needs to do a nationwide operation, look for these family units and single adults who had their day in court or didn't show up in court and were ordered removed by a federal judge. If those orders don't mean anything, if those orders aren't executed, there's no integrity inside our system. I did this three and a half years ago and yeah. took a lot of heat from the Democratic administration, but it worked. The numbers on the borders dropped dramatically almost immediately. We have to show a consequence. Central Americans need to see families coming home. Consequences. 
This is the essential missing component of our immigration policy right now when it comes to those who break our immigration laws. That was uh, Tom Homan there, and he is absolutely correct. We need to start enforcing the law or else there'll just be more law breaking. The whole system collapses on itself if there are no consequences for abusing the system. You'd think, well, Buck, that's so obvious, right? It's how could anybody have a problem with that? How could anyone oppose this? Oh, that's right. They they shouldn't oppose this. They should be all in favor of it. But Democrats do oppose it. They have no interest, none whatsoever, in making people who violate our laws suffer any consequences because they benefit from illegal immigration. You know this. We've talked about this. It is so clear at this point. But there's more than just the enforcement piece. That's, that's very uh, critical. That, and, and if the administration gets that right, I know there's this Jared Kushner immigration plan that's out there right now. E-Verify is a component of that. E-Verify is important. Employer workplace enforcement has to become a part of our immigration uh, routine in this country. Uh, there's also some border security measures, and there's there's a lot of things. Because but the, the problem with trying to deal with illegal immigration is that it is multifaceted inherently. I mean, you can focus in on a couple things here and there, but it's always going to be a dare I say comprehensive approach. Although that phrase has been so abused by the other side um, that they really, at this point, you know, anytime you say that, it's like, oh, are you going back to the Gang of April with Marco Rubio and the rest of those guys? I certainly hope not. That was the amnesty bill. You remember that, the amnesty bill. But here's what else is happening on the immigration front that's so important, given we had 109,000 illegal crossings last month, 109,000, a decent-sized U.S. city of illegal aliens entering the United States in one month. Multiply that by 12, we're at over a million, my friends. That's That's the situation on our border. Now we look at the way that the hashtag resistance judiciary, the anti-Trump judges, generally but not always Obama appointee judges, how they've made it impossible for Trump to handle the immigration crisis. They keep tying his hands, even though recently the preliminary injunction on the Trump third safe country agreement with Mexico was lifted so they can keep some people in this pilot program who are waiting for their asylum claims who come at the southern border. They can be they can be kept on the Mexico side of the border. So that that will happen. And but that's that's, you know, kind of a rarity that there's something that goes somewhat reasonably with these courts, especially the Ninth Circuit, which you usually have is a nationwide injunction, What you have had. And, and the the best example of this that I can give you is when the uh, when President Trump tried to get rid of DACA, right? Try to say, okay, no more DACA, which was an executive discretion-based program. And then a judge came along in the Ninth Circuit and under a kind of administrative procedure interpretation, it's just making it up as the judge goes along. I mean, it doesn't make sense to anybody. It's not a good faith interpretation. Said, oh no, you can't stop this program anymore. Well, if a judge can tell the president what is in the executive, or rather, if a judge can make executive decisions for the president about immigration when it comes to 
areas of executive authority, then the judge can just usurp any judge, any federal judge anywhere in the country can usurp the authority of the president of the United States. This is crazy. This is nuts. But that is what is happening. But Vice President Mike Pence, according to Bloomberg here, has said the Trump administration is going to ask the Supreme Court to prevent lower courts from imposing nationwide injunctions against the president's policies. Pence said in a speech to the Conservative Federalist Society that federal district courts have imposed more nationwide nationwide injunctions against Trump than the first 40 presidents combined. On Tuesday, an appeals court lifted an injunction against a Trump policy that allows U.S. immigration authorities to force some migrants seeking asylum to wait in Mexico while their cases are adjudicated. Keep in mind that while the okay the the appeals court lifted the injunction, but someone had to put that injunction in place to begin with. So a federal judge said, "Oh no, you can't! You can't! Executive branch, President of the United States, you're not allowed." to enforce border security in this way, because I say so, and I'm a federal judge. My friends, there are hundreds and hundreds of federal judges across the country, okay? This, I, this, this idea that any federal judge can just tell the president, you can't do that, and that it is true uh, as a matter of federal policy across the entire country. This is just, this is just nuts, And what you have is judicial abuse. I mean, these judges are abusing their power. Uh, This is what Penn said. A Supreme Court justice has to convince four of his colleagues to uphold the nationwide injunction, but a single district court judge can issue one, effectively preventing the duly elected president of the United States from fulfilling his constitutional duties. This judicial obstruction is unprecedented. In the days ahead, our administration will seek opportunities to put this question before the Supreme Court. You're darn right. And it's absolutely what they should do. The the destruction of the good faith execution of the laws, the eradication of good faith in executorial decisions, the clear weaponization and politicization of prosecutors' offices, these are all current policies of the Democrat Party, and they're going to be lasting and destructive legacies of the left in this country for a long time to come. There are a lot of bitter fights we can have about politics. There always have been in this country. There always will be. But we have to be able to count on some sense of shared obedience and respect for the rules and not changing them as one sees fit whenever it benefits somebody, whenever they feel like just ignoring what's really written on the page or, or how things have been done in the past or what the intent of the law truly is. Got a big hour two coming up here. What's it going to look like when Trump is able to finally focus on the uh, Democrat opposition? I think that Biden is going to wither. I think that Buttigieg has no chance standing against Trump on stage. The only one that is a wild card for me, and I know some of you disagree and that's fine, Bernie is an interesting matchup for Trump. He's the only one that I see that's that's a serious matchup. I still think Trump wins because I think the country's not ready for a democratic socialist. I think that we're still we're just not there. Hopefully, I mean maybe maybe I'm giving us too much credit as a country. But you had uh, Trump in Florida yesterday, and he was in in usual Trump form at a rally, really getting everybody fired up. 
but it was a little taste of what we're going to see in this next election, which is going to be wildly entertaining and a very interesting test of where this country really thinks its future lies. That's all coming up. Boot edge edge. Boot edge edge. They say edge edge. He's got a great chance, doesn't he? He'll be great. And Beto, Beto. Boy, has he fallen like a rock. What the hell happened to Beto? One of the Democrats today said that he, it's a he, sleepy person, said that he heard from a lot of foreign leaders and they want him to be president. Of course they do. So they can continue to rip off the United States. Of course they do. He had a choice between Sleepy Joe and Crazy Bernie. Instead of wasting time, energy, taxpayer dollars on partisan stunts and hoaxes and witch hunts, Democrats should be focused on building up our country. I mean, they want to do investigations instead of investments. I think it drives us right on to victory in 2020. No collusion. No obstruction. No anything. It's time to stop this nonsense. The Trump mania is going to be in full effect for this 2020 election. This is going to be a real test, isn't it? You see, the first time around, President Trump had the, let's be, let's be honest, he had the element of surprise. He had a, a kind of underdog status, at least in the eyes of the establishment. I know many of you listening are like, uh-uh, Buck, I knew, and you do. And I have the emails and the Facebook messages you did know uh, to prove it. But he was considered well into the general election. Let's be honest, he was considered well up until election night itself. No chance he's going to win. No way. Was it 97% chance New York Times says Hillary Clinton wins? 97%. If I told you you had a 97% chance of waking up tomorrow morning and a 3% chance of not, you, you probably sleep pretty well, right? I mean, let's, let's be real. 97% chance of Hillary winning. Obviously, that didn't happen. This time around, he's going to be the incumbent. It's going to be quite different in that sense. But we're also going to get a real look at, you know, the, the first time around that the Democrats, it was all, oh, Trump has this new, for you know, it's like he, he caught them by surprise. He caught them flat-footed. They had Hillary, hello, who was running around being horribly uncharming and, you know, not being a good candidate, not being somebody that anybody would really want to, to vote for and all this. And, and, you know, Hillary was doing all of that. And they acted like there's no way they could have seen Trump coming, right? There's no way that anybody could have predicted this thing. Now you're going to see Trump standing in the, standing off to the side during the Democrat primary and just, just, shaping the narrative a little bit about these guys here and there, a little bit here, a little bit there. You'll notice he brought up how our foreign adversaries have already made made it clear that they have a preference for sleepy Joe Biden. And specifically in the case of China, that is definitely true. In fact, I think that the, the argument, I, I think you can make a strong argument that the Chinese, if they don't make a deal, and here's a prediction, folks, we're not going to get a deal right now. I'm not saying we're never going to get a deal. We're not going to get a deal right now. If we're, if I'm right and we don't get this trade deal, that would mean you know, tomorrow we're going to get all these additional sanctions that, not sanctions, uh, tariffs, pardon me, not sanctions, tariffs that go into effect. Uh, if we get all that and that happens, um, there may be a chance later on 
for us to really get the deal we want. But Trump has to win because the Chinese right now, the calculation that they're making is that if they can just wait it out a little bit, then they will be in a place to negotiate with sleepy Joe Biden instead of Donald Trump. And they know that Biden doesn't have, I don't think Biden has the stomach for a real trade fight with China. Look at all the people who told Trump that this was a crazy idea, what he's trying to do here, that this was insane for him to take this, uh, take this position of forcing China to the negotiating table. Um, Now it looks like he's been, he's been the one that had real foresight. Now it looks like, President Trump understands what China is doing much better than so many of the uh, so-called experts on this issue. And so I I do think um, I do think that the president uh, is going to be able to get us across the finish line if he gets four more years. But in the meantime, you've got these different Democrats out there. And I'd say Pete Buttigieg, I was willing to kind of give this guy a fair hearing. He does seem a little snide. There's something a little, he seems a little nasty. I, the, lacking, very lacking in charm from what I'm what I'm picking up. I mean, yeah, he speaks a bunch of languages. He's a Rhodes Scholar. That's all great. But I don't, I don't think he's got the charisma. I don't think he's got the swagger. And Biden is, what was the, what was it that Reagan called him again? A, a perfect demagogue, a, a smooth, a smooth but total demagogue. I can't remember it was, Reagan's description, no surprise, completely nailed it. Um, but, but I don't think Biden has, has the, uh, the legs for this either. I don't think he can do it. Um, and another thing to remember is that there's going to be payback along the way here, at least political payback. I don't think there's going to be accountability for the people that, that were part of the deep state, the deep state coup, really, to get rid of Trump. I, I think that they're probably going to get away without any real you know, criminal sanctions or anything like that but that all said uh, there will be opportunities for trump to make the case to the american people and i certainly hope that he does that all along here um this deep state effort has shown the kind of bad faith that democrats operate under and we should not let this pass we should not let this we should not let this aggression stand man like we should actually Nail them at the ballot box. That's the one thing that really gets, you know how you get even with Democrats? Take away their power. And uh, Trump gave us a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a, a preview of what that, when he was in Florida last night, what that's going to sound like on the campaign trail. And it's going to be sweet. Play 14. Your judge has a fantastic relationship with James Comey. Well, he's a part of this. He lied to Congress. He leaked. He's a liar, a leaker. And your judge has a situation where he wanted to become the FBI director. We chose Director Ray instead and told him, I'm sorry. That's, those are tremendous conflicts. Those are tremendous conflicts. And then he puts on his staff almost all Democrats, many of whom contributed to Hillary Clinton. None of them contributed to me, that I can tell you. And it started out at 13 and went to 18. These were angry Democrats. These were people that went to her, in one case, went to her. It was supposed to be a party. It turned out to be a funeral on election evening and was going wild. He was so angry. And this man now is judging me. 
Yep. Trump is going to be able to finally take the fight to the other side in a way that will matter to them. If we can't get the deep state to clean out its own house, if we can't get real justice at the Department of Justice and all the people that were part of the the effort to take down this president will evade accountability, at least Trump can use what happened to him to take the one thing from Democrats, take away from the one thing that gets them really upset, the one thing that makes them so, so sad, their power, because they're obsessed with power. What I'd like to see with Iran, I'd like to see them call me. You know, John Kerry speaks to him a lot. John Kerry tells them not to call. That's a violation of the Logan Act. And frankly, he should be prosecuted on that. But my people don't want to do anything that's only the Democrats do that kind of stuff. You know, if it were the opposite way, they'd prosecute him under the Logan Act. But John Kerry violated the Logan Act. He's talking to Iran and has been, has many meetings and many phone calls, and he's telling them what to do. That is a total violation of the Logan Act. This is a critical point from President Trump. Really summarized with only the Democrats do that. It's so true. Democrats are are such, they're such petty little authoritarians and such a bunch of of hall monitors, but that that only enforce the rules against the kids in the class they don't like. You know, they're sticklers for rules when they're on their side, and the rules don't count when they're not. I remember this from even when I was in the CIA. Oh, my gosh, the, the stuff that people would say, this was during the Bush administration, the stuff that people would say about George W. Bush in my office sometimes. Oh, man. And and how how uh, you know incompetent he was. This is our commander in chief. This is a guy we're we're doing uh, writing the PDB for every day. You know, and I was in the Iraq office. We're in a war zone office. We had really really important issues to to tackle. And all oh, the stuff that people would say about the president and how you know they couldn't wait until they had somebody smarter and better and all this stuff. And I never I never did anything like go and complain and say, oh, there's a Hatch Act violation here because they're doing you know, political proselytizing in the office. Or, but I'm telling you, I mean, if, if we put up a joke cartoon with Bush and Reagan riding velociraptors with American flags in one hand and machine gun in the other, I mean, maybe this is the kind of thing that happened. I, I can't really recall exactly. If we did that, I can just tell you that there was an absolute certainty that some lib in the office was going to say, oh, there's a, it's a Hatch Act violation. You can't do that. Uh, there's such a bunch of babies. And now in a more serious way, the Logan Act is just another another instance of how this plays out. And that's why Trump is, is rubbing their faces in this, and he should. Because today, when he brought up that John Kerry, who if there is such a thing as a Logan Act violation, you would think that John Kerry is the one violating it right john Kerry speaks to iran says stay in the deal don't listen to the president don't do what the president wants and he's really doing it under the color of authority of of the united states government even though he's not in power you know he's really doing it as though you know he speaks for some part of the united states government i mean look i i don't believe the logan act is is a law that can be enforced but my point is that if it is a law Kerry is violating it. If there is such a thing as a Logan Act violation, Kerry is violating it. Meanwhile, 
when Trump brings up that John Kerry violated the Logan Act, journalists, lib journalists, oh, across the board, they scoff at this notion. Oh, oh, preposterous. Oh, the Logan Act is not something that we need to think about or worry about. That's not a real law. And to that, I just, I just note, really, because you will recall the Logan Act was the pretext for acting Attorney General Sally Yates to send FBI agents to go and entrap General Michael Flynn with perjury, in a, to put him in a perjury trap, and to take him out as national security advisor, to ruin his career, and send him to prison. So if, the, if everyone's going to laugh about how Kerry can't really have violated the Logan Act, which is what they're doing, oh, that's ridiculous, oh, that's crazy. Why wasn't it ridiculous and crazy when, never mind that Sally Yates was willing to use it in this way, but when she said that that was her justification, when she said that she was using the Logan Act specifically because it was a law on the books that she thought maybe John, uh, maybe uh, Michael Flynn had violated, why wasn't that viewed as, a, as an, obvious, an obvious political hit job? Which is what it was. Because, you see, Democrats do not believe in principles that apply universally. They do not believe in laws that apply universally. Their mentality, their emotional state is such that they think that there are certain laws for some people and other laws for other people. They think that the Logan Act is useful for reining in the destructive impulses of Republicans who are in power and and are supposed to be able to engage in foreign policy. But they have no such sense... Uh, about Democrats. I mean, if you go back and look at what Teddy Kennedy did back in the day with the Soviet Union. I mean, that, that was like, that was really borderline treason. I mean, that the stuff that Teddy Kennedy was doing, and yet still the line of the Senate when he's not letting a girl drown in the back of his car because he wanted to protect his political career. Lion of the Senate, they call him. What, what a disgrace. What an embarrassment. But this double... Uh, This double standard, this dual-tracked justice system we have, where there's such a quick resort on the Democrat side to call foul and want to use the law and even really aggressively uh, twist the law and to come up with, you know, to, to pull a Comey, to pull a Mueller. How can I find a way to use the words on this page that that is a statute? To go after someone I want to go after. That's not the way the law is supposed to be. The law is not supposed to function as a tool for battering down your political opponents. That is what Democrats do. That is the game they're playing. And I I know I've I've said this to many of you who listen. uh, I've been saying this for years. Just look. Step aside from the special counsel situation for a moment. Just look at what the, uh, the Democrats have done and Democrat prosecutors have done in the last 10 years when it comes to using the law as a weapon. They went after Scott Walker in a complete joke of a, of a theory of a case. They went after Scott Walker with the so-called John Doe laws. They went after uh, Chris Christie over Bridgegate. They went after, for a short time, Rick Perry over firing a, I think it was a district attorney who had a drunk driving conviction. And then they said, oh, you can't do that. 
They went after Bob McDonald of Virginia, who was, you know, being slimy. I'm not going to say what he did was okay. But they also went after his wife. And there was no quid pro quo, meaning he didn't do anything for the person that was giving him all these favors. So what's the what's the corrupt act? Ah, but see, just like how they went after McDonald and created a very expansive theory that the Supreme Court overturned. Remember, Bob McDonald's a Republican at one point talked about as a likely vice presidential candidate. I mean, he was a national level figure back in the Romney days when Romney was run for president. But they went after Bob McDonald. They want to send him to prison for 11 years, and they could not even identify a single official act that he took. So I ask you, where's the equivalent effort on the other side? Where are the Republican prosecutors who, without cause and without without real evidence, have concocted these cockamamie theories of a case or cockamamie theories about an interpretation of a statute twisted and reorganized and turned upside down all for the very obvious purpose of taking down a political opponent. I I can't think of it. We don't do this. And I can't advocate for doing it because it's so dangerous to a society. It does deeply wound the rule of law and it hurts you know you you think about what really binds us together as a country it's our language it's our culture it's our laws it's our history but our laws really matter and the faith that we have in the justice system that it is not about politics it is about the law and doing justice itself that is rocked to its very core when we see this happening over and over. And that's why, you know, when they scoff about Trump bringing up the Logan Act, I just want to say, where was that scoffing when it was General Flynn? When it was his time in the barrel? It should have been scoffed at, but it wasn't. It was used as a tool to take him down. Sally Yates should be ashamed of herself, but of course she is not. As a fantastic piece today. In National Review from from Kevin Williamson, who I have to say is uh, one of the best, I would say best conservative columnists. I'm actually going to go even further. He's one of the just in terms of sheer writing talent. Kevin Williamson is one of the best people on the scene, certainly, I think, in the in the top 10 for editorial writers. And Kevin and I don't know each other very well. I've obviously had him on the show in the past. Uh, You know, I, I, I don't have his number on my phone, so it's not like we're close buddies. But I just recognize talent where it is. And Kevin is, is a fantastic writer. But he did this piece on uh, that he just published today. That's on NashReview.com. Does Brian Sims hear himself? And he really tied together some of the threads from what I was discussing yesterday on the show, which is that Brian Sims is, is a very, this is, remember, the state representative in Pennsylvania, a guy who, Clearly seems like a little bit a little bit out of his mind on certain stuff, you know, and and but speaks in the language of the woke social justice warrior and is very nasty and very self-righteous and really epitomizes what is the psychological deficiency that has run rampant in the progressive left. Essentially, they're crazy. They've gone nuts. Let me read you from some of, of Kevin's piece here in National Review because he gets into both the problem of Brian Sims and the problem of the left being in a state of, of mass delusion and psychosis. How to explain Brian Sims? None of the three most likely possibilities that he is not very bright 
that he is insane, that he is a fanatic, speaks very well of the Pennsylvania state representative who for some reason decided to accost an elderly woman praying silently in front of an abortion facility to film the attack and then to boast about it on Twitter. It is tempting to lean towards stupidity as an explanation for Sims's shenanigans, if only because that is the most statistically likely scenario when the subject in question is a member of the Pennsylvania State Legislature, as witless a collection of moldering goofs and ravening mediocrities as you will find in any of our state capitals. But let's not give short shrift to the insanity option. Sims, who holds elected office and previously worked for the Philadelphia Bar Association, offered a cash bounty to his social media followers for identifying information with which to dox three teenage girls who were praying outside the same clinic. Mentally normal adult men do not go around photographing teenage girls and then trolling for their names on social media in order to facilitate harassing them. Times being what they are, perhaps we should classify political fanaticism of the social media performance art variety as a kind of insanity. Political fanatics such as Sims live in the shadows because uh, shadows between the idee fixe and outright monomania. The inferior kind, and Sims is the inferior kind, fixate on terminology as a substitute for ideas. And for them, buzzwords are a necessary intellectual crutch. Hence, Sims's shouty accusations of white privilege in the face of a young woman who, as she pointed out with a smile, is not white. <laughs> and it goes on. It goes on. Um, it's it's a, a fantastic takedown by Kevin Williamson here in National Review. I've been sending around to friends of mine because it really pulls apart all the important aspects of what this guy Brian Sims did. And, and remember, he, he, he didn't, this wasn't just in a moment of frenzy. You know, this isn't a guy who was in a traffic jam who yelled some profanity out his window at someone passing by. No, no. He videotaped himself, not once, but twice. He posted on social media because he was proud of it. And he had initially accosted them without videotaping it before any of these incidents that made it online. And then in his sort of kind of a it wasn't an, it wasn't an apology. I won't call it an apology. His explanation of events. He held himself up as a good guy and something of a, a martyr for women's rights. But in that exchange where he's haranguing, where he's just harassing and menacing an elderly woman who's quietly praying outside of an abortion clinic, you heard so much of the usual leftist stupidity. And Kevin actually goes into some of this. He says, uh, what should be remarkable, but is not remarkable, about the Sims video is the superficiality and banality of his thinking. His political arguments are utterly sophomoric, demanding that the elderly lady interrupt her rosary to tell him how many unwanted children she is clothing and feeding. The taunt is childish. No one ever asks critics of capital punishment how many murderers they're willing to bring back into their homes. The Pennsylvania State Legislature is not the Olympus of politics, but even that repulsive body deserves better than this stuff. I, uh, I completely agree. Um, I think that Kevin, Kevin nails this here. Kevin nails this. Um, that the arguments that are being deployed by this guy aren't even good pro-abortion arguments. 
He sounds like a total moron and is proud of his idiocy. Why? Because he uses the right phrases. He talks about how, you know, that, that, that there's white privilege and he, he speaks about how they're, you know, the, 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 the very words he uses are a signifier to anyone who would see this outside this Planned Parenthood clinic in uh, Philadelphia. By the way, there's going to be a counter rally tomorrow. Uh, I know we had Lila Rose on earlier this week to talk about it, but he's showing everybody who he is by by not just what he says, but how he says it. But this is the this is the part of it that for me uh, is the most single incisive point that Kevin makes in this piece. And it's because not to put too fine a point on it, it sounds like what I'm telling you on a regular basis here on the show, that politics for the left has replaced God and has replaced other parts of emotional, psychological and moral development where our politics and identity are more intertwined than ever for the left in this country, and they can't separate the two. Here's what he writes. Representative Sims is a low kind of man with a low kind of mind, but is in fact representative. In our time, politics has become a very strong part of some people's identities, fundamental to their self-conception. Partly, it fills the hole left by the attenuation of religion, but it is also a kind of identity politics for Representative Sims will surely appreciate the irony, college-educated white people. That's right. Leftist politics gives an identity to particularly morally rudderless, atheistic, agnostic, liberal, college-educated white people. Their identity becomes their leftism. So that's why they react to criticisms as though you have deeply affronted and hurt them and they can't handle it. That's why they need safe spaces. That's why they need trigger warnings. That's why they want to shut down speech. That's why they say speech is violence. That part of the mind and the soul that is supposed to be filled with a relationship with God, the left has filled with a relationship with leftism. Clearly what the Democrats and the Judiciary Committee are doing is undermining our democracy and helping Vladimir Putin. If you look at what we know and what we know from the Mueller report and other places, it's absolutely clear that the Russians uh, have attempted, uh, a number of them were indicted, uh, for attempting to influence, to undermine our democratic processes. And the Democrats on the Judiciary Committee are doing exactly what Vladimir Putin would do if he could. I I don't like... This formulation from uh, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, I'll be honest with you, I got to tell you, I I don't like what she's going for here. Uh, We should not in in, sometimes it's effective here. I don't think it's effective. We should not try to flip around the nonsense talking points of the left and try to come up with our, our own way of using that. I hate this undermining our democracy phrase. I just hate it. I've heard it for two years now about everything relating to Trump. Everything Trump does is undermining our democracy. Now, I know she's talking about the Democrats undermining our democracy, but it's, it's, really, a, it's really a kind of stupid phrase. It doesn't mean anything. What, what, does that, what does it mean to undermine our democracy? How? Are you saying you're undermining rule of law, voter integrity, voting rights, election security? What, in, in what way? It's just, it's a phrase that has been utilized so much by left-wing maniacs that to me it's it's almost like when someone drops into their when someone drops into a conversation uh social justice communities of color and 
uh, and undermining our democracy, that just those phrases or those words, you know right away you're dealing with a leftist, right? But that's the, the, these are the, the, the terms of, of art for the political left now. This is how they will describe. Certain, there really is a difference in how conservatives speak and how liberals speak. And the undermining our democracy point is something that goes right to the libs. Dark money in politics. Whenever you hear someone talk about dark money in politics, you know, it's a lib. I mean, this, this is kind of important just for uh, navigating at cocktail parties and such. Because, you know, if you, if you know this stuff, then you know who you're dealing with right away. I pretty much can talk to somebody for, it takes me usually, if, if we don't talk about politics, but we just, I, I can usually tell within two or three minutes if somebody's a conservative or a liberal. I, it, that's, that's fair. Not always. Some people hide it pretty well. But just the, the phrases they use, the way they talk about things, you can pick it up. We really do use different words. Um, freedom, very big among conservatives. Equality, very big among liberals. You know, there's just a different political and really uh, intellectual and psychological focus. So undermining our democracy, I'm not, I'm not into. And then there's this other part of this. I'm not trying to, you know, beat up on Congresswoman Cheney here, but this just was one of these moments where I, I think that the language does really matter and, and it kind of got, got me a little, little fired up. Um, doing what, doing Putin's bidding. I, I hate that people do this all the time. Now, whenever you're doing something that they disagree with politically, this is it. You're doing the bidding of some really bad person. And th- this is a, a stupid construction. Um, doing Putin's bidding by undermining our democracy is what the left has been saying for a long time about pretty much everything that Trump does on foreign policy. Uh, but they'll, they'll also say that they'll say this about Kim Jong-un or they'll say this about any number of people. Interestingly enough, today there was something of a, of a beginning of a, a break in the administration on the issue of Venezuela. Um, I, I, this is, I gotta tell you, I think it surprised some people. I think it surprised them to find out that Trump is a little bit uncomfortable with the very aggressive uh, posture that we have vis-a-vis Venezuela. And there's some reporting today that John Bolton, not to be confused with Michael, Michael Bolton, what a cool name, um, that that Bolton is is perhaps too hawkish, that Bolton is too quick to get us involved in some of uh, what's going on in in Venezuela, and and perhaps taking us too far. Um, perhaps there's something here beyond just us backing the right side here to us all of a sudden involving ourselves on on one side or the other of this, and it just it should not happen. Uh, it should not happen. I, I think that the the president is right to be skeptical of the U.S. being more involved, being too involved in, in Venezuela. And I like that the president is willing to finally say, here you go. This is from John Hudson over at uh, the Washington Post. Trump is questioning his administration's hardline policy in Venezuela. He feels backed into a corner, is frustrated with Bolton, and says Maduro is a tough cookie. Uh, yes. One, Maduro is a tough cookie, all right? This is not a guy who's going to go easily, and I've been saying it all along. And Trump is complaining, according to this Post article here, 
that that some of his advisors, notably Bolton, said it was going to be easy to get rid of the socialist strongman. It is not easy to get rid of socialist strongmen. History tells us this is usually not something that happens uh, quickly or seamlessly. Uh, Juan Guaido would be a much better choice. We certainly would prefer that he was in place. But we got a long way to go, I think, before that actually happens. And Trump realizes that the one thing, and this affects his foreign policy across the board. I, I hope it's the guiding principle of the Trump administration right now in foreign policy. It should really be a do-no-harm foreign policy. I just don't, no, no, no big mistake. You you're always going to make little mistakes. Is North Korea a little mistake? You know, is, is sitting with Kim Jong-un and saying that he, that he fell in love and all that, is that a little mistake? Maybe. Uh, we're not, it's not clear yet, although we'll talk more about North Korea in the next hour. Um, but eliminate big mistakes on foreign policy and you're going to be in pretty good shape. And the big mistake that Trump could have is any kind of major military intervention in advance of the election. Uh, I would have a very hard time with uh, supporting Trump's foreign policy if, if that were to that were to happen. Because remember, there was an important break between the Republican establishment and Donald Trump on the matter of foreign policy, where he just said the Iraq war was a mistake. We shouldn't have done it. He didn't he didn't prevaricate. He didn't kind of waffle back and forth on it. Didn't waver. Uh, he he said that it was a mistake and he wants us out of Afghanistan. The permanent national security apparatus in D.C. is going to keep us there, apparently, for a very long time. I, I wish we would get out. I think there's no hope of Afghanistan being much better than what it is right now. And that's just my that's just my opinion. But I tend to be right on these things. But Trump sees that with Venezuela, okay, uh, this guy, Maduro, is holding on. Is Guaido really going to get it done? And here's, this is what made me think about it, playing into Putin's hands. One of the leftists today, not worth naming him, but one of the leftists out there was saying, oh, see, because Trump talked to Putin recently, and now Trump is questioning U.S. policy in Venezuela, even though questioning U.S. policy in Venezuela is the right thing, he must be doing Putin's bidding. So even when Trump is doing something that people on the left think is probably good, they won't give him credit for it being good because he's doing Putin's bidding. This is crazy. These are the thoughts of crazy people. This is where Trump derangement syndrome is all, is all too real, my friends. This is where there should be a, a recognition that uh, this is a, a clinical diagnosis. I'm not a shrink. I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist. But there should be some kind of a, a clinical diagnosis for people who do, in fact, suffer from Trump derangement syndrome, because uh, that's where we are. We're, we're into that territory now. But yeah, uh, a little bit more caution in Venezuela is probably a good thing for this administration. I like that. And don't start using lib phrases just to own the libs, because we shouldn't talk the way that they do. We've got our own way of speaking. And I just wonder, because I do think it's it's fairly dangerous. And, and you brought it up after Congress, uh, a woman, uh, Omar, also had some death threats against her. Do you think, you know, she's obviously uh, now stated she needs to be more careful with her language. Don't you think other people who talk about her need to be a little bit more thoughtful as well? Or do you stand by those comments of tying her to this, her rhetoric to the synagogue shooting? That is a conversation between Seth Meyers uh, whom I've never thought was funny or talented, and apparently I'm not alone, who has one of these late-night shows, and Megan McCain, 
And full disclosure, Megan is a friend. Her husband, Ben Dominich, the publisher of The Federalist, is also a friend. So I always like to tell you guys when I have a any kind of personal connection that people are talking about. But I want to discuss this premise that is advanced here by Seth Meyers, because he didn't come up with this. This is something that you hear the left doing often, which is, oh, don't you think that you should not criticize this person because some people made death threats against this person or something like that. Let's uh, let's dive into this with our friend David Harsanyi. He's a senior editor at The Federalist, which Ben Dominich is the founder of. But I want to bring him on because Ben and uh, Seth, Seth Myers, there's a little bit of a Twitter exchange there that has now gotten a fair bit of media attention. We might talk about that. But first, we have Mr. Harsanyi joining us now. Mr. Harsanyi, great to have you. Oh, thank you for having me, Buck. Also known as David. I don't know why I like to call you Mr. Harsanyi, but I think your name is fun to say. What is it, like Eastern European, by the way? Oh, yeah, sort of Central European. It's Hungarian. Hungarian name. All right, so your piece here is everything Seth Meyers said about Ilhan Omar is wrong. Claiming Meghan McCain put the congresswoman in danger by criticizing her is just a way to bully Omar's critics. Take it away, sir. Well... As you just heard, you know, it, it really wasn't a question. It was sort of a rhetor- it was a rhetorical question. He was actually just lecturing Megan McCain, who I also uh, am fr- friends with. And uh, it was a way to, uh, to sort of guilt trip people who dare criticize her um, by sort of injecting this idea that, that you're putting her in danger. Now, that is ridiculous in many ways. One, we don't give a nut who happens to uh, send a death threat, a, a veto over our criticisms. It's not like uh, Megan McCain or anyone else that I know of was saying, hey, you know, let's uh, make uh, Ilan Omar feel in danger or let's go to her house and throw things at her or anything of that nature. They were being critical of words she said. If we stopped being critical of people who got death threats, we wouldn't be talking to anyone ever who's involved in politics these days. That's the first thing. And the second thing, of course, is... Uh, that I don't know that Megan tied her to the shooting, as he just said, of uh, in the California synagogue. I think that, and I don't want to speak for her, but others who are critical of her, like me, simply are saying that there's an anti-Semitism problem, both on left and the right, on the fringes, except, unfortunately, some of those fringes are now elected in the Congress by the Democratic Party, and, and that's a big problem. I like that you pointed out in your, in your piece here on The Federalist uh, something that I've had to bring up many times in conversations with with liberals about overheated rhetoric and what it can lead to. And here's here's how it often goes. You brought up the Bernie Sanders supporter who believed that Trump was a traitor, who believed that Trump had committed treason and Russia and all this stuff and really would have been right at home with a lot of people. And, and I don't mean watchers. I mean, people who go on channels like MSNBC and CNN, the things that he believed are very directly supported by what is said on some of those uh, left-wing cable channels on a regular basis. But what I find so fascinating is, is David, when there's an incident of you know, something like this with Ilhan Omar, and, and then I will bring up to liberals that I know and some whom I, I work with, I'll say, well, what about the attempted mass assassination of Republican members of Congress by a Bernie Sanders supporter? I don't remember you saying that you can't criticize Republican, you know, Freedom Caucus members after that. And not only are they kind of stumped by the argument, it, it, the, that whole Bernie Sanders supporter incident, that guy James James Hodgkinson is his name, not just to keep bringing up Bernie's name, James Hodgkinson, that's down the memory hole for them. They don't even remember this. Yeah. I mean, they act as if all kind of, you know, all violence, all political violence is always 
on the right. They talk about Charlottesville all the time as if, you know, uh, you know, a, a mainline Republican supports those sorts of positions and ties them to you, but they never talk about, for instance, people who are, you know, breaking Starbucks windows in Seattle or wherever or having those kind of protests. Those people, they pretend have nothing to do with them, even though in my, in my view, their ideology is a lot closer to the progressive ideology than mine is to anything that has to do with Charlottesville protests. But they always pretend that the... It's like the other day when... Um, a bunch of news organizations called uh, Louis Farrakhan a right winger, you know, a, a far right winger. To them, everyone who's bad is on the right wing, and everyone who's good is on the left wing, and that's how it's always been. Yeah, that was amazing with the Washington Post. Right, right wing, uh, you know, anti semite Louis Farrakhan. That's that tells you a lot about. Yeah, the because Washington he's a religious. You know, he's very religious, and he's a religious fanatic, just like you guys. What's the argument right. I saw online? But. Using that sort of argument, you know, a lot of these Nazis are pro-abortion, uh, you know, they're pro, you know, status, you know, health care, things like that. It doesn't make them left-wingers in, in the way we talk about politics yeah. today. Right-wing radical Osama bin Laden. You know? it's like, I, don't, I don't think these, these, uh, applic- these, these don't apply the way that they'd like them to. But, you know, to your point about, about when the ideological fringe is really not so much the fringe, there are left-wing intellectuals who have written. I've actually read the Antifa uh, handbook. Uh, there are people that on CNN will go on and say, uh, Chris Cuomo will say that while you know maybe Nazi punching is technically illegal, meaning that what Antifa does, and keep in mind that they often punch people who are not Nazis, they try to punch people like you know Milo and Ben Shapiro and and you know Gavin McGinnis and whatever one thinks of these individuals or not who have been protested on campuses and, and attacked and such. They're not Nazis. Uh, so but Chris Cuomo will go on air and say, yeah, what they do is not really that bad. I wish they do it a little differently, but it's not that bad. I don't know a single conservative of any uh, repute whatsoever who would say, yeah, you know, the guys with the tiki torches saying you will not replace us. I just didn't like the way they went about it. But the message was right. Nobody would say that. And if they if they did, they should get roundly intellectually annihilated for it. Right, and I'm not saying Ilhan Omar is like the Tiki Torch Nazis. I am saying she's a lot closer to them than I am, and it's not a right-left thing. It's when it comes to the Jewish question, questions of, 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 of what, you know, like, just take a quick step back. Myers also said that, you know, Omar was being critical of Israel, right, which is a, a typical line. Like, why can't we be critical oh, of Oh, wait, hold on, hold on one second, actually. We can hear it from the man himself, and then you can tell me what you want to say. Play clip eight. Is there a way for people to talk about uh, differences in Israeli policy without getting framed as anti-Semitic language? Well, David, is there? <laughs> yes, there are people who are critical of Israel all the time. In Israel, people are critical of Israel. I am critical of Israel sometimes when I disagree with what they're doing. She wasn't critical of Israel. First of all, there's a difference between being critical of Israel and saying that Israel shouldn't exist, which is essentially her argument. But more than that, saying that the Jewish people don't deserve a state like other people, but more than that, she was critical. She wasn't critical. She smeared American Jews as seditious people only care about money and are doing things for money and bribe people to get, you know, to bring them onto their side. She was calling Americans, uh, American Jews, uh, you know, accusing them of having dual loyalty. She wasn't just critical of Israel. I found when I went through her entire Twitter feed, one, uh, one, uh, one time her, of her mentioning Benjamin Netanyahu at all. She's critical of Jews in general, and people just defend her all the time with ridiculous questions like he asked right there. Is Seth Meyers 
What's his game here? I mean, I, I don't know the guy. I, I don't think he's funny. I've never thought he was funny, but that's separate from this. Uh, and I, I agree with some of, uh, some of Ben's analysis of Seth Meyers' comedy ability that came across in some of the, uh, the, the Twitter. I would have phrased it differently, as I know Ben would admit now he would have as well. Um, but I, I don't think Seth Meyers is a talent. Anyway, the point being, what's his game here? I mean, he's not so, is he really so obtuse as to think that a way to argue with somebody is to say, well, you criticize someone and other people say really mean things to that person. So aren't you kind of responsible for the death threats that that person gets? I mean, that would shut down criticism of all public figures. Yeah, I mean, he I has to know. know that, though, right, David? So what's the game? Is it is it just well, in the moment? He's just repeating what we see, you know, a bunch of progressive types repeating all the time on this issue. It's the same. I mean, he's using the argument that basically Bernie and um, Elizabeth Warren and everyone used when, when she got in trouble, you know, two times ago or whatever the last time was. So she, you know, it's just an argument he hears and reads and whatever he is reading, which I, you know, we can suspect what he's reading and watching. And he repeats them. I don't know enough about the guy. I'm not really a fan. I never thought he was that funny. I think Ben... Um, you know, if you're talking about a little Twitter interaction, I think that when someone goes after your wife, you get emotional. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, maybe, you know, I, I know Ben tweeted out that he regretted just how hard he went after him, but, um, I think he just regretted the language. I mean, or rather, yeah. but you know, I, I, I think I, I told Ben, I think the sentiments about Seth Meyers being a punk are accurate. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I think everyone gets a little bit too hysterical and serious about everything that someone says in a fit of anger on Twitter. You know, I don't think, you know, whatever. I don't think I'll let Ben talk about that himself. But Yeah, I got to have him on the show to talk about this when he wants. But, you know, I figure why yeah, I, I don't know what he was thinking, but I know if someone would attack my wife in, a, in that way, which seems unfair, it sort of seems like an ambush, not something that you'd normally talk about on late night TV. And that's the problem with late night TV these days. The few times I do wander in there to watch, it's never, it's like I'm being lectured all the time. I can't take it anymore. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think he's funny. I think his game is that he's a progressive and he just repeats the same talking points we hear all the time. It's not very inventive and it's kind of, you know, ridiculous. And it needs to, but it needs to constantly be pointed out what they're doing, misleading people with, with loaded questions that deflect from the actual issues that are the problem. And uh, I just got to say, um, I, I found out for the first time here that there's a Mrs. Harsanyi. I did, I did not even know this. <laughs> there is. What, when am I going to get invited one. over for some meatloaf, Harsanyi, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. We'd love Do you to, have we'd kids? Love to have you over, Buck. Do you have kids? Oh, yeah. I have, two, I have two kids. I didn't know that either. All these years. I don't know anything. <laughs> Harsanyi, we got, we got to catch up. I'm bringing you some scotch over. I got to meet the Harsanyis. All goes on in our business would you you know you don't want to bring your family into that sort of uh d- d- gross environment right i mean not yeah but i mean i do chance. for those listening i've known david david was at the blaze back in 2011 man we're going on almost a decade of harsanyi sexton conservative synergy so it's been a long time yeah 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 i am i am i am married there is a mrs harsani and, and i don't want people like seth myers attacking her so <laughs> i totally get it man i, I i'm <laughs> i'm with you on that well David, uh, thank you for letting me invite myself over to your home yeah, at some point for dinner. And uh, and uh, as always, good to talk to you. Guys, check out his article on thefederalist.com, uh, which is everything Seth Meyers said about Ilhan Omar is wrong. It is well worth the read. And David, thanks for making the time, my friend. Anytime. Talk to you soon. All right, team, we will be right back. The Republican Party, I have to say this, is really very much becoming the party of health care. You see what we're doing. We're determined to end surprise medical billing 
for American patients, and that's happening right now. We've vastly expanded lower-cost health insurance plans. That's happening, and it's been an incredible success. We've begun a bold initiative to reduce the price of prescription drugs. And last year, drug prices saw their first decline in 46 years. First time in 46 years that drug prices have gone down, and now they're going to be going down a long way further, including the fact that we may allow states to buy drugs in other countries if we can buy them for a lesser price, substantially less price. Trump administration has got to get this message out there more, folks. That healthcare is the the under the surface iceberg of the 2020 election. What I mean by that is the healthcare issue, because I think people, you know, we've heard about it so much, especially since the Obamacare era. We, we've been being told about, you know, oh, this needs to happen with healthcare, that needs to happen. That and it feels like not all that much has changed. That it doesn't rate on the news channels. It doesn't get the base all fired up. But Trump and this administration are doing really good things on healthcare, and that's going to matter. That's going to matter. The number one in the election, the number one issue in this midterm, and the thing that I will say Democrats managed to do pretty well on, because they were all just saying, well, we just want to keep Obamacare. You know, don't throw people off insurance. Obamacare is designed to give you the sweets up front, not tell you what the calories are. They give you all the sweets up front. Stay on your parents' insurance till you're 26. Pre-existing conditions are covered. And and then has built-in talking points. This many people are covered now. Uh, if you try to get rid of Obamacare, you're taking away people's insurance. You're taking it away from all these people. They don't ever deal with the fact that for so many people, they had to lose their initial insurance plan to get on their crappier, more expensive Obamacare plan that they don't want to be on. But... It's very rhetorically, it's very effective. Democrats have a built in advantage on the issue of health care and Republicans have to go at that. Now, I'm I'm going to be hopefully not too much of a of an emotional roller coaster going in this election, um, because I think that Trump has earned four more years and then some and. That you could have Joe Biden or any of these Democrats taking over is just I can't be in D.C. for that. I was that that can't happen. I got to be out if if there's going to be any of these guys running the show. Um, But these kitchen table core political issues are going to be very, very important. And that's why the action on on health care pricing transparency. This is this is. I, you know, I think I mentioned on the show that I had to go to the ER maybe six months ago and actually finally just paid the bill. It's an outrage, an outrage what they charge me. And I have health insurance, what they charge me to go to the ER just to get checked out by a doctor, make sure I, you know, I had kind of a fever. I want to make sure I didn't have a, you know, a, a serious, a serious infection. And uh, it's it's just wild what happens when you go into a hospital because the people who can pay the hospital's basic mantra is well if you if you got any money and you got insurance we're going to rinse you i mean we're going to turn you upside down empty out your pockets and just take everything we can i mean we're just going to do whatever we can to get as much money out of you as possible and it's 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 wrong it's wrong there should be prices we should know what the prices are this would make a huge difference if people knew what things were going to cost before they got them then they would feel differently about what they're ordering off the healthcare menu, so to speak, right? Imagine going to a restaurant 
and there's no prices on anything, and it's not a pre-fix, right, a, a, pri- a fixed-price menu, and you get the bill afterwards, they say, oh, you thought that bottle of wine that you ordered was $20, it's $200. You would be ticked off. That is our healthcare system. In fact, it's really like, oh, you thought it was two, you thought it was twenty dollars, but we brought in a different sommelier, and he's the best sommelier in the whole country, so it's two thousand dollars now because that sommelier adds to the price of that wine. They do this with anesthesiologists, with different providers. You'll get a different provider that shows up during a surgery who's not in network and gets some obscene bill, like bankrupt you level bill that you had no control over. And obviously, drug prices is another area where, yeah, I want innovation, and I want better drugs, and all that stuff too, but. The drug companies give a ton of money to D.C. There's a lot of shenanigans going on. There's a lot of cronyism with the drug companies. Don't think don't think there's not. You know, I'm not trying to get all Sandernista on you here. Uh, a lot of what the drug companies do is try to maintain their patents by changing the delivery mechanism a little bit or they just they do everything that they can to maintain their legal advantage by trying to game the system for for different drugs. I mean, why is it the case that you have drugs that are available in a lot of other countries, a lot of developed countries that aren't very expensive, but in this country, they're very expensive. It's it's wrong. And that's a legal. That's not a market issue. That's a legal issue, meaning that there's there's a a creation, a legal cartel that is created because drug companies are greasing the palms of a lot of people here in D.C. So Trump has taken this on. This is important. They got to stay on this. And this needs to be a part of the messaging, a big part of it for 2020 if we're going to win. You are now entering the Freedom Hunt Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. Kim Jong-un has launched two short-range missiles. This is the second uh, weapons test in less than a week. This is happening right as there is a meeting scheduled between a U.S. envoy and North Korea to try and come up with some way forward here on the North Korean nuclear program. Uh, You also have the China trade deal, uh, the China trade deal that right now it's we'll see. The Washington Examiner reports you that China says it wants to meet the U.S. halfway on the trade deal. I'm very curious to see what their version of halfway will be. President Trump has said that China tariffs are going to increase. And keep in mind that we always have to think about North Korea and China as very much related issues. Without Chinese support and and Chinese uh, toleration, really, North Korea would, would collapse. China is the only country in the world that could very easily just collapse North Korea without going to war with it. They could just cut them off and that would be that. That country would come you probably have a vast famine, and I'm not saying it would be humanitarian or, or pleasant, uh, but it, it is possible. It is in the Chinese government's power. Uh, you got the, but th- those are two issues you always should think of. It's uh, like AFPAC. When I worked Afghanistan issue at the CIA, it became very, very much the, the standard to refer to it instead of just Afghanistan issue. You'd refer to AFPAC, Afghanistan, Pakistan because you can't really understand what's happening in Afghanistan without understanding at least what's happening in the uh, border areas in the north and west of Pakistan along the Afghanistan border. So AFPAC, there's really China-NK as well. North Korea, China are very much on a security level, on an economic level too, 
related issues. Uh, so we may have $200 billion of Chinese goods that get a big tariff slapped on them as of tomorrow morning. Uh, as of tomorrow morning, this has spooked the markets uh, a little bit. Uh, this, this could be something that has economic effects in this country. People are concerned about it. The S&P index was down a little over 1% earlier today. I mean, I don't know what it is now. It always jumps around. Um, here's the good news, though, folks. I'm going over there, and I'm going to fix everything, or at least I'm going to try. If I come back and the China trade deal is done and North Korea has denuclearized, let's just say that I told you so. Uh, but no, I really am just going over as a tourist, uh, going to go have some meetings, do some fun stuff. Uh, I am going to be out. Tomorrow will be my last day for a solid week in the Freedom Hut. Um, but I'm going to be over in China. I, I really think it's necessary at this time. And the, um, you know, the, the, the future of national security in this country, of economics in this country, uh, it, it's going to be so intertwined with what goes on in this part of the world that I just feel like I, I need that uh, personal experience of being over and seeing it, smelling it talking to people, understanding a little bit of what it's just getting a feel for, getting a, a tiny bit of ground truth over the course of, I know it's only a week. I mean, I wish I could tell you I was going to deploy there for six months, then I'd really have something to bring back. But it, just even that, I think, will be eye-opening, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'll add to my ability to explain things going on in China on this show, and, and I'm going to be getting deeper into that issue. I'm going to make this a an exercise of, of continuous deep diving uh, to make sure that everyone who listens feels like they have a pretty deep knowledge base as well of what's going on in China, because one of the mandates of the show is that I will bring you information that is useful and bring you information that will help you stay very much ahead of where other folks who listen to other shows will be. Uh, speaking of other folks, I do want to tell you that next week we have a rock star lineup of uh, fill-in hosts, guest hosts that are planned. Uh, as of now, we've got uh, we've got my man Raheem Kassam, global editor in chief of Human uh, Events, will be in. Uh, we have Charlie Kirk of Turning Point USA in for a few days. Uh, we are hoping to get my friend Harlan Hill in the mix. And we might even get a Brett Winterbull sighting. For those of you who know Brett Winterbull from Newsmax. So we're, we're really going to work in uh, a whole bunch of, of different folks. And um, I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll be, it'll be a lot of fun to have all those different voices in the week. And those are all going to be really strong shows. So as much as I miss you, I feel, like, I feel like I'm leaving the family in the hands of Mrs. Doubtfire. Or actually, is that kind of bad because he was a guy dressed as an elderly woman with a fat suit on? Maybe that's creepy and weird. Maybe I shouldn't leave you in Mrs. Doubtfire sense. Oh, hello! Um, I'll leave you in the hand. I don't know. Who's the... Um, what's, her, what's her name? The uh, spoonful of sugar makes the medicine... Mary Poppins. Spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. I'm leaving you guys in the, the radio equivalent of Mary Poppins' hands here. You're going to be in great shape. For the week. I will miss you all very much. I'm not even really going to be able to be on comms over there. I'm going to pretty much be off social media and off the web for reasons that some of you, I'm sure, can surmise. So uh, I'm going to just be, I'm just a tourist man, just going to hang out, talk to some folks, do some things, get a little China ground truth, eat some dim sum, although a lot of that has gluten in it. So I don't know how I'm going to get away with eating 
all these things that just are doused in soy sauce. Might be a rough week for the Tum Tum, but you don't need to hear that from me. You don't listen for, for that kind of analysis. Uh, we are going to have great shows, though, next week. So make sure you tune in. Make sure that you, uh, you download those podcasts. Uh, they're going to light it up, all those guest hosts. And uh, we have Roll Call coming up. Liberty, truth, and great hair. Feel those funky beats. It's time for Roll Call. All right, Roll Call time, everybody. Ooh, yes, it's the Roll Call time. I don't know why I like to sing at the end of the show. Some of you are like, Buck, you, you've actually told me this. Please, please don't sing. And I don't listen to you despite you giving me very good advice. Paul writes, what happened to the email section on BuckSexton.com? Um, Paul, I don't know. We just relaunched BuckSexton.com, so I have to see what is going on there. And uh, we will get into it. We'll see what's going on. I do not know. We are working on it. Uh, let's see. Producer Mike, tell me what's going on with that, all right? Producer Mike, he's the guy. He's my wags. For those of you who watch Billions, Producer Mike is my wags, which means that he'll also go to extreme lengths to make sure that the Freedom Hut is protected and prosperous. Uh, Tim, Billions is a very good show, by the way. I think it's actually gotten better, which is the mark for me of a truly great show, one that actually improves over time. It's on Showtime it's good stuff. It's it's well acted. It's pretty well written. Uh, I, I support it. I am very disappointed with Game of Thrones so far. I know. Yell at me, boo me, whatever. Game of Thrones is up to this point, in my opinion, not what it should be for this season. Overall, still a fantastic show. John writes, Shields High, real news fan. The left and the media have taken the George Costanza playbook and are running it hard. It's not a lie if you believe it. Commie Bear lives. Uh, John, I don't know that specific George Costanza reference, but I do like Seinfeld. So there's that. And yes, it's not a lie if you believe it, I suppose, is the George Costanza mantra. Chessin writes, uh, I was listening to podcasts from yesterday. The idea the FBI is beyond reproach is amusing. The fact that the headquarters is named after Hoover... It's a very good point, Chesson. Shows that they're an agency and government at large are okay with playing not just fast and loose, but also bitter and vindictive. Looking at Hoover being the director of the FBI would make James Comey in good company. Shields high. You raise a very good point, Chesson, about the FBI being named after Hoover. That is certainly shady uh, when you think about it. Uh, Hoover, well, I don't know. You know there's pe- people are... They, they dispute some of the stuff that was said about Hoover, but he was very, very powerful. I don't know. I, you know, I should probably do a deep dive of my own into J. Edgar Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover and see where, you know, what the truth is of whether he was really a, a power mad Rasputin behind the scenes or not. That's kind of the pop culture sensibility about him. But, you know, I don't like just taking that at face value because it's often not true, as we know. So uh, you've you've inspired me, Chesson, to do a little more looking into J. Edgar Hoover and his background. Mark writes, uh, mention of commercials during roll call, Buck. On May 8th, I'm not a fan of commercials either. However, look at it this way. 
The commercials help generate revenue for advertisers, which keeps American small business running and keeps Americans employed like me. Like, yeah, that's right. Like Buck Sexton. Shields high. Sent as I'm sipping my black rifle coffee. Uh, Mark, thank you so much, man. You are a true capitalist and a patriot. You get it. And for those who are listening to this, uh, we obviously don't charge for the radio show. It is a it is a free product. But the products that we advertise on the show, that is what keeps the lights on. And so if you get a chance, please do check them out. They are fantastic companies run by great people that have very good products. I mean, Black Rifle Coffee is is delicious. It's actually incredible. My, my parents drink it. My siblings drink it. I, most of my office is now drinking it. Uh, it's really good coffee. So, you know, this this is it's not like I'm it's not a hard sell here. I, I highly recommend you check it out. And uh, BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. All right, roll call continues on because it's obviously amazing with um, our next contestant, Braden, who writes, Buck, remember when I first messaged you back in 2017 and told you I wanted to be a radio host like you? Well, I'm living the dream. Below is a pic of me DJing for my campus radio station. Shields high from the show me state, Braden. Uh, That is... Awesome, my friend, Braden. I am so, if I may say so, very, very proud of you that a member of Team Buck has decided to get into the radio biz for himself or herself. If anyone out there is a lady who's getting involved, uh, it's fantastic. And there's it, the thing about radio is that it's not work if you love it. If you don't love it, it's the hardest job in the universe. I mean, I know people that work in media and the thought of doing a three hour radio show gives them night sweats. Uh, but if you like radio, this is the best. I mean, it's almost a it's a, a form of, of meditation for me every day. I mean, the three hours that I spend with all of you is when everything that I'm thinking about, reading about, I get to synthesize it all, make sense of it all, and share it with you, and then have your thoughts shared back with me. And it's a, it's a magical thing. A radio relationship is very special. I've said this before, but I always know when somebody knows me from... This doesn't happen as much now because I don't do CNN and I'm in very blue places. But uh, although I did have a woman come up to me who was a Fox News watcher recently and she she's like, wait, is that are you? And I said, yeah, I just got a beard now. She goes, yes. She didn't recognize me with the beard. So uh, I guess the beard's pretty manly now or at least bushy. Uh, but people who know me from the CNN days uh, would come up to me and they kind of look at me and say, yeah, I think I saw you on CNN. And they had this kind of quizzical, like, I'm too cool to know who you are, but I kind of know that I've seen you on TV. So, But people who know me from radio, they know they're my friends. When I see them in airports, when I see them at restaurants, they know, hey, Buck, and, and I want to talk to them because they are, if they are part of Team Buck, they are my friends. And, and I don't have to think about it. That's just the feeling that you get from having this kind of, relationship um so there you go um radio relationships a very powerful thing rob writes hey there buck love your show and listen via podcast i have to tell you the ads for the other podcasts are really bad it's getting hard to follow what you're talking about with all the interruptions rob i'm i'm i have some meetings coming up i'm going to talk to the the powers that be and we'll see if we can what we can do on the podcast side to get the ads to be a little less uh, annoying. I am sorry about that. It is obviously not something that I'm in charge of or, or picking out. I'm working on it. Evan writes, like the beard. Here are some book recommendations. The Source by James Michener is a great overview of Jewish and Israeli history. God's Crucible by David Levering Lewis, a great history of Islam. And Sailing from Byzantium. How a Lost Empire Shaped the World by Colin Wells. Awesome history of, you guessed it, Byzantium. 
Happy travels. Evan, that is, that's very cool, man. Thank you for those recommendations. Uh, I am definitely going to check those out. I am looking forward to seeing what you, uh, what you recommended, what you got in store for me. Uh, let's see. Ron writes, I'll keep it short. Abortion is no laughing matter. But every time I hear Alabama Representative John Rogers kill them now or kill them later statement, I have to laugh. Not at his words, but at the indefensible position it places the pro-choicers in. Kill them now? Kill implies that life must exist. If the unborn child can be killed, then he or she must be a living person. That simply does not square with the pro-abortionist stance. None of their euphemisms used to describe what's inside the mother leaves uh, room for that child to be called a life. For John Rogers, a life is what that mother wants to control, not just hers, but the life of the child she is carrying. If only there was some hard-hitting interviewer who could pose that conundrum to Representative Rogers or his defenders, I would pay to see that one. Shields high. Well, Ron, well said on the incoherence of the pro-abortion stance when it comes to life. Jeff, in a moment of deep thought last week, I asked myself the question, is it ironic that Washington, D.C. has three electoral votes? They don't have actual representatives, or so I think, but for some reason, someone thought it was necessary to amend the Constitution to give them three electoral votes. Well, Jeff, thank you for the little bit of trivia, my friends. James, thank you, Buck, for reading Facebook messages from your fans. It means a lot to us for someone like you to take the time out of your busy day to connect with us. You're awesome. Shield time, my friend. The beard's looking good. Mine makes me scratch my face. LOL. James. Well, James, you are the reason that I have a show. All of you who listen to this show, whether it's on your radio station or on the podcast, you are the reason. And so I'm in your debt. Uh, I am indebted to you. And I, I really, really do appreciate it. And I am I am humbled by it every day. You know, I'm not about to fly around on Buck Force One. This is a labor of love, my friends. Although keep buying, keep buying the different sponsors and maybe we'll get Buck Force One one day. Uh, let's see. Whoa. Brian, this looks great, but uh, this is long, so I don't have time to read it right now. Kevin, I don't know how to send you a roll call message. <laughs> well, Kevin, yes, you do, because you sent one. The media are claiming Trump's billions in losses reflect his 80s taxes. That, that, that shows that he was bad at business. If they really believe that, and we know they don't, I'm sure they would not mind amending the Internal Revenue Code to allow real estate developers to write off those passive losses as they could in the 80s. Back then, Trump's tax position was so smart, Democrats considered it abusive and demanded its elimination. Now those making Democrat claims take the position it was bad business. In other words, libs lie. Well, Kevin, well put, my friend. Libs do lie. And I suppose that's a perfect place to end today's show. Shields high.